Tech, a podcast series about the kids' digital media space. I'm your host today, Craig Donahue, Head of Community and Insights for Hopcamp, which is a super awesome safe social platform for under 13s. And today I'm joined again by Sam Clath, a Strategic Insights Consultant who works primarily in the kids' and parents' sector. Thank you very much, Craig. It's good to be back. Thanks, Sam. So today we're going to talk about uh, kids, data privacy and online concerns. Is there anything you'd like to kick that off with, any sort of initial observations? Yeah, sure. It's uh, it's quite an interesting area and topic because it's something that doesn't feel like it would necessarily be interesting for kids at all or that they might not know about. It feels like quite dry. Um, however, kids are incredibly engaged in this area in a whole variety of ways. And I, I know that we're going to talk about some of those. So, so let's kick off. Perfect. So I guess... My initial thing here would be we're talking about kids, let's say we're focusing on five to 15 year olds. Specifically, do they understand the words data and privacy? Um, the short answer is yes, but in different ways and at different age groups. So um, what we see is that um, privacy means something different when you're five to when you're 15. Um, and it kind of kicks off with when they get to school and they're given their first kind of internet safety talk. And it's all about passwords and keeping your, your identity safe online up to when you ta start talking to some of the teenagers they have a really, really in-depth knowledge of what data privacy actually is. Um, there was a huge flurry around GDPR last year where um, they suddenly realised how much data was being collected on them and they, they're much more aware of cookies and, and this kind of thing. So the, the, at that kind of macro level, there's, there's a, a kind of a spectrum. But what's also interesting is... Um, when you talk to them about that kind of idea of personal privacy and they've got again a huge range of opinions on what should be private and what shouldn't be private and who is the custodian of that privacy so they're kind of photos and that kind of thing i think it's quite interesting because i think with this within this age group privacy almost means two different things there's privacy which is almost like the immediate dangers of putting that information out about yourself and the consequences of that and then there's privacy in regards to that information being gathered as data by companies, um, by the government, by schools even. At what age are we seeing information stored about kids? Where does it kick off? Pre-birth, I would say. I, I mean, if you, if you think about it, I mean, not from, yes, actually, probably even from a, a, a kind of big data perspective, because you've got all of the pregnancy data that goes around it um, but you've also got the parents starting to share their fetal pictures of, with all of their network of friends and then and then that carries on um, certainly there's all the medical records that go through but once they start at school there's a really um, defined set of data that gets that, that starts to be starts to be stored then and then carries on so that they go through until you know beyond school so for example um they, uh, once they get to senior school, they're probably using a G Suite type of product um, to have their virtual learning environment on and, and all of those kinds of stuff. So there's there's all of that data that's going on in the background. I mean, it's an absolutely phenomenally huge area in terms of data that is collected on children that parents and children have no idea about. So obviously, this is quite a big concern. It's one of those things that's actively happening, but not many people are questioning at the moment. Um, I think in terms of kids being aware of 
data they're probably being taught at school but they're not specifically being taught what the school is doing with their information absolutely not no, absolutely not I, I mean even when it's quite interesting actually because they're also collecting biometric data particularly at the senior school level they, they'll use it for you know payment systems and this kind of thing but I think if you root it back to what children are actually aware of they are definitely aware of um uh kind of the idea of cookies and this kind of thing particularly when they get to kind of eight, nine, ten, eleven, they start to teach them about that in school and they're beginning to think about what they should and shouldn't click on to a lesser or greater degree. But let's face it, they are, are human like us and they will click on yes because they want something. So it doesn't make much difference really. Um, I think the other thing that's quite interesting when you're talking about the whole privacy aspect is this idea of is can, is it okay to share something um, and that then goes with this whole idea of trust. Um, so do I trust the person that I'm giving this data to? And that that becomes quite interesting as they get older because they start to think about it more. When they're younger, they're not really thinking about, about it. They're just clicking yes or that organisation is OK because it's a really well-known one. So it's interesting to think that obviously the people that children would trust the most would be their parents. And in many cases, Sherentine has been happening the images of them from pre-birth have been shared. Um, so we're going to have some very, very interesting conversation, conversations in the future in regards to the right to remove. There'll be some interesting conversations, I imagine, with um, influencers whose parents maybe have been part of like a family uh, influencer on YouTube. Um, what do you think will happen with that? I, I think I think those those conversations are starting already, actually. And in, it, there's been a, a flurry in the press of um, younger teenagers coming out and saying, you've, you've shared all of this information about me and I'm not happy about it. But actually, even when you talk to ch like ordinary children on an everyday level, you know that... Um, that there is there is a kind of power balance, I think, when it comes to photos and parents and, and sharing, in that um, parents... Many parents feel that they have the kind of copyright over their pictures, over the pictures of their children, and that it's their, you know, they are able and allowed to share them widely as they see fit across whichever social media that platform they're on. But actually, children feel quite strongly about it, particularly as they get into their teen years and they're more sensitive about the information that goes out for, for them or the, the pictures are embarrassing or it sets them up for a fail in their perceived fail or it's not the perfectly curated picture that they might have shared um and so there's I've, I've spoken to a lot of children who get very very upset about the fact that their parents are sharing widely and freely um and interestingly this is where the the kind of trust element comes into it so there are ones that have found out that their parents are sharing when they've gone onto social media themselves which is a betrayal and then there are the ones that um have seen stuff that their parents have put up and asked them to take down and their parents have taken it down and then the trust is um what's the word i'm looking for um mutual i think they they, they kind of it carries on but there are a significant proportion of children who say i asked my parents to take these things down and they don't and that is really damaging for for that relationship um so it does ultimately come down to that you know that that trust that you have and whether the parent thinks they should or should not listen to their child um it's interesting that look, quite a lot of parents um, are now going, actually, I'm not sharing with my, my pictures of my children widely. It's fascinating. Do you think Facebook is the key platform for this? Um, 
it depends on what their parents are using. So Facebook was, I, I would, and I would, you know, a year, two years ago, I would have said yes, absolutely. Um, but Instagram is also quite um, important for parents. And then um, WhatsApp is the other big platform. It's interesting that children also make that distinction with WhatsApp versus Instagram and Facebook and say, actually, WhatsApp is closed groups. It's usually yeah. the, you know, family. My parents have good settings on Facebook, I mean, on, on WhatsApp. And so that that is slightly different, but they still don't want it out there. Do you think there's also, I think we're saying that kids also, you know, want to curate their lives. They want to put the right pictures out there. They want things that really represent them, which is obviously difficult because what represents them will change quite frequently as they're finding their feet and discovering the building blocks of who they're going to be. But do you think there's also elements where kids are a bit more switched on there because of the training that they've had, for example, within schools or just from kind of, you know, TV stories? Do you think that they are more aware of the safety and are having to educate their parents? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, um, again, when they get to those kind of like tweens and, and late, kind of mid to late teens, that's when they are really educating the parents, particularly if the parents aren't, aren't that um, switched on in terms of privacy or anything else. So um, on Pop Jam, we did ask some of our Pop Jammers some questions about data and privacy. So obviously on Pop Jam, we don't collect any data on any of the kids. We do ask questions and we are able to collect the most mentioned answers, um, but we can't associate that with a user. Um, and there were two definite strands, um, if I can share a couple with you. Of course. One of the strands specifically was about data and their privacy and how it tied in directly with their safety. And I'll talk about that in a second in regards to online concerns and common patterns that mm -hmm. we were seeing. But one of the other conversations <coughs> was very much about their data and how it's being used by maybe companies and organizations. And I think maybe the number one word that might spring to mind of it was almost like conspiracy um, without getting too dramatic. Um, we know kids love a conspiracy. We know when things happen, they'll get quite excited. We know that there's almost like a marketing effect online for being, this is happening, watch out for this. They love to warn each other and tell each other. Um, and I think, you know, they're never really afraid of mentioning things like Illuminati or Illuminati confirmed if the there's a vague triangle in a picture. Um, but we were seeing um, kids saying things like, there are some sites that spam and take all of your information. Um, so, you know, keep, keep your information safe, please. Um, some information is extremely important. It shouldn't be shared. And they'll take information to advertise the right adverts for you and to suggest who to follow. Now, there was a little bit of a theme where actually some thought that that might be an actual bonus because it meant that they get to see things that are completely relevant to them. What Did you see anything like that? Yeah, that, that's really interesting because you talk when you talk to um, older children who really understand the, mecha the mechanics of algorithms and cookies and, and this kind of thing, it does go two ways. It goes either, you know, this is a great this is great that I'm being, um, you know, shown things that are relevant to me but there are also those that are probably more aware that will talk about um living in a bubble and and have and you know that kind of echo chamber thing um that's more of a minority but the younger ones um absolutely they, they love the conspiracy theory they love this idea that there is some kind of you know overarching big brother that's watching every moment that that, that, that are doing um it's it it's fascinating actually when you talk to them and you realize quite how much they have clocked about what's going on absolutely um so other answers and some information we had uh, some kids saying some companies collect information because the government want it yes you should have control over your information 
um, and response to this from another kid was, the government doesn't collect much of your data, only like allergies and name and age for legal purposes. So there also seems to be a vague sense of um, if you're not doing anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about, you know, quite a sort of big brother attitude. Absolutely. And and I think that's quite, it's it's quite funny, actually. And I think the, the other thing that strikes me when I talk to children in particular is the views of the parents that come through. Um, and I think if you've got an informed parent or a conspiracy theory theorist parent, you are quite likely to have absorbed those views as well. Um, it Yeah, it, it does make a difference, I think, a little bit. Definitely. Um, I won't go too, too far down the conspiracy route, as we all know, it's uh, dangerous territory. <laughs> Um, but we, we had some mentions um, within the same sentences about NASA having information, um, President Bush, um, and then mentions of things like surveillance. But then the flip side of this is um, information is extremely personal, but doctors need to have it to know things about you. Allergies keep cropping up, which I think maybe is the number one example of why they're told to share or... I think it's more common now when you go somewhere on holiday or go to a restaurant if you've got any allergies, any intolerances. But it's interesting that this keeps cropping up. It's a, it's a mainstream thing, I think, allergies. Um, we also then on the flip side had some kids talking about safety. And I think on a platform like Pop Jam, we specifically talk about safety all the time because kids can't share personal information they can't share selfies we don't allow private chat and we filter out specific words so if anyone was trying to allude to i live here i'm going here so and so goes to school here uh, this all gets filtered out so we know that kids have a knowledge of the platform but i think specifically it's a lot of what they're being taught um they have quite a dramatic view about their personal data in terms of i don't share private information online because there might be some people who can work out who i am um, there are many risks about information online. That's why I only share the useless information, uh, which is good to know. What is useless? Um, it, it's. I think it's really. I mean, you're talking specifically about PopChan, where the children have been schooled in 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 safety online. But I think when you talk to children that aren't necessarily kind of from the PopChan audience. Um, there is a similar pattern that comes through. So they have been drilled on safety and online safety. And, and a lot of it is about their own personal safety. So they'll talk about um, one of the things that they're, they're scared of. And I know we're going to talk about this in a bit is, you know, somebody finding them or kidnapping them or that whole stranger danger thing and the comments that come online when you kind of click on a link or whatever. Um, so so they're deaf. They, that idea of being safe online is something that is drilled into children from a quite young age now it's like crossing the road you know we teach our children how to be safe offline and and actually online as well um, and that does seem to be effective yeah I, I think from talking to kids um outside of pop jams on doing some school visits and working with groups um there's definitely this um underlying worst case scenario which is you will be found and you will be kidnapped or something worst. terrible will happen to you and sometimes it's easy to that's the path that every answer about safety will often take. Yeah. And I think that often comes from it being the easiest way to sometimes make a child aware. Sometimes parents might be like, well, you know, don't do that or this will happen. A fear factor or a scare tactic, perhaps. Yeah, absolutely. And then I think when, you, you know, we talked originally about the differences between age groups and as they get older, they start to talk about identity theft or fraud or um, their banking details being t stolen and, and all of these other things that are, are probably more realistic than being stolen physically. Um, so, so there is a great bundle of things that comes into that whole online concern thing. Um, 
it's probably worth also pointing out that when they start talking about things that worry them, there is a denial of access that worries them as well. You know, my, you know, my account's going to be hacked and I won't be able to access it anymore or, you know, or somebody will pretend to be me and then um, my mother will realise and then think it's me that's written all these horrible things and um, they'll take it away from me. Um, so, th so there is a, a kind of real and present danger of them suspending all online behaviour because of this online threat. Absolutely. Um, that might tie in incredibly well to some information from Popjammers. So um, this year I asked Popjammers about what their online concerns were. Now, I did this last year as well, and essentially the main hitters are exactly the same. So we specifically, um, last year, bullying was a much bigger concern, whereas this year, specifically in the UK, um, hackers are a really big sort of issue. So hackers um, are very much like the villains of the internet for yeah. kids. They're the bogeyman because not only are they essentially bad guys, they have access to all of the information. They can kind of manipulate data to get whatever they want. And the key concern seemed to be they can find out where you live by manipulating, you know, binary code in some kind of magical way. Yeah. But also reputation was hugely important because for a lot of them, having an online profile is something they've curated and taken time to, you know, to work on. They've either taken lovely photos for it or they've created art for it. They spent a lot of time being kind. Maybe they've been showing exemplary digital citizenship. And the idea that someone could take their reputation and say mean things to the people that they love or kind of do a lot of negative things or, you know, ruin it all. It's, it's a huge worry. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think when you go back to what we were talking about earlier about about trust and about, um, you know, not wanting parents to do things that damage their own kind of personal image or whatever it's exactly the same thing it I, I for me i think it it does boil down to kind of this this power play between you know your the child and external forces um but also and and trust but also control you know they don't have these hackers or parents or, or friends actually sometimes um are, are elements that children don't have control over and children have limited control over their lives anyway um so to have these threats is is even worse Definitely. Hackers are an interesting one because we often find a child might claim they've been hacked even if they've just forgotten their password. And often we are curious as to why a child would create multiple accounts. And they will often say, uh, I think we've always thought it's because they're trying to, this is my arty account, this is me being more into gaming. Actually, they're often saying now that they have multiple accounts because in case they get hacked so they can still Which kind is, of... That's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um it and bullying um, remains obviously a huge concern. Absolutely. Um, and we have kids saying specifically, I'm worried about the aftermath of bullying. There could be so many lost lives. Um, but also this time when talking to kids about bullying, we were seeing a lot more kind of sympathetic responses, um, very much like acknowledging that the bully might be having a tough time at mm -hmm. home or maybe the victim of bullying themselves. It was very interesting. So a kind of more developed understanding of the motives behind it, I guess. Yeah, like very educated, very empathetic. It was, it was, I that's, mean, fantastic. That's really interesting. I have to say, I haven't seen so much of that. So maybe it's a pop jam thing. It potentially could be because, I mean, kindness is a currency on pop jam, and um, we know that being a bully or being considered, you know, a, a negative player, for example, is not a great thing. But it was, it was just a, almost like a very considered response. And. Um, 
I know you're asking questions, but I'm going to ask one back. Um, one of the things that I see a lot when I'm talking to children about what they're concerned about, so, so bullying comes up, but then a kind of laddered effect is then um, effect on self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And so when I talk to children probably aged eight plus definitely into the teens and, and older teens that they, they talk a lot about the effect of um social media in particular but also other factors on online in terms of their their mental health and of their their, their kind of self-esteem and all of these kinds of things it seems to be a massive massive issue for them absolutely absolutely i think bullying from the last report we did as well it seems kids are scared of being bullied they're worried that they might get bullied in the future. They're worried they might see bullying. They're worried they might not know how to report bullying. Um, one of the biggest fears I've seen now is they're worried that they're going to be accused of being a bullying, uh, being a bully. Um, so it's a reputational thing again. The idea of being wrongly accused of a crime they didn't commit actually comes up again, I think, through the fear of hacking mm. and actually some other concerns that are quite interesting. I'll show you in a second. Um, specifically, um, um, a thing that came up at the moment is kids saying they're, fear of seeing inappropriate things or scary things. Um, I think a lot of this ties into Momo because the, when we asked the questions, it specifically came out after the whole Momo scare. Um, a lot of the time kids were saying, it's that scary thing, that scary thing that happened, that viral thing, the bird creature. So they were not able to talk about Momo in Pop Jam. What we were able to do is look at some of the conversations about Momo that were blocked and didn't go online. So it's quite interesting for us to see what kids were attempting to say. But actually, most of the conversations about Momo, where Momo was specifically referenced, um, was warning, do not listen to what other people are saying, or warning, look out for this. Kids very much like to get this information and then specifically warn each other and be almost like the caretakers of the experience. That's fascinating. How did you, um, when you were talking to kids, how did you find them talking about things? Did you find the term inappropriate coming up a lot? It's like their favourite word. It's it's inappropriate covers such a catch-all of um, behaviours and content, um, you know, from perhaps watching at 12 when you're eight to um, seeing things that are really properly inappropriate in a in a you know, in a comment feed or something like this, or um, so. So yes, and I think it's language that they're they're drilled with from their parents and from their teachers from really really young. You know, you can't play that or you can't do this or it's it's not appropriate. It's inappropriate. Um, scammers, an interesting one that came up. Did you get um, much about kids from scams? I think for me, when when I talk to children, scammers gets kind of parcelled up with hackers. So it's the same kind of thing as fraudsters. It's people doing things that they shouldn't do, that the bad people. Definitely. I, th I think there's almost like the four horsemen of the apocalypse with kids. There's hackers, bullies, scammers, and then predators. Yes. Um, for With our research, it seems very much maybe like the difference between a, a bully and a hacker and a scammer is that a scammer specifically wants to get something from you that might be money, it might be Robux. Um, we saw kids talking about things like art or ideas or content mm -hmm. that they've created. They're very precious about it. Um, and that becomes their currency, I think, in, in this experience. Yeah. I mean, I think also I think scammers is something that they can see happening in the kind of offline world as well. So they'll talk about, you know, the the parents that get you know phoned by talk talk or whatever it is that they're doing or the door-to-door -door scams that go on so, so it's it's something that is slightly broader i think than just online it's but but you're right it's people trying to get stuff definitely um so just to mention very quickly a few of the other kind of categories of things that weren't mentioned the most but i actually feel like are very interesting um social pressures seem to have been lower down the list 
Um, and I've included within that things like getting blocked or becoming banned, especially if they've been hacked. So the idea of losing access, as you mentioned earlier on, incredibly relevant. Uh, fear of judgment, um, either for things like their looks or potentially things they've created. Um, a fear of being called a newbie or being per perceived as someone that is new to the online world. Um, and maybe that's a vulnerability thing in regards to hackers and scammers. And... But I, I think actually that's about um, growing up and being judged, actually. Because I think, I mean, obviously that that's very, or that feels quite pop down specific. But when you talk to um, children that are on the cusp of getting social media, there is a, there is a kind of... Um, fear excitement uh, you know that they're really quite scared about doing it but they're excited at the same time and part of that is working out what their voice is going to be if i start on instagram for example aged 12 or 13 or 14 or 8 whatever it is who am i and how do i present myself and how do i know that anybody wants to listen to me that that's quite scary actually so that so i would agree with you that this this idea of being a newbie is quite a big thing um but it's like it, but it, I think that's much more about how how I how I am in that whole growing up phase. Yeah. So you've not only got to work out who you are in the physical space, you've got to work out who you are on the online space and how you present that. It's yeah. Tricky. Very tricky. It's something I feel like I'm trying to negotiate <laughs> now as an adult. Absolutely. Um, we also saw um, mentions about their creations in terms of um, you know kids really care about what they do, and we feel like they're very upset that things might get stolen or judged, receive negative comments, or just might be removed without reason. And I can understand that being a fear if you've put a lot of time and effort into something and it is just taken and you've got no power to stop it. And then tech concerns about viruses, having no internet or no Wi-Fi, um, lags, low battery, and also um, concerns about parents um, seeing maybe what you're doing and removing your access, which we know is one of the number one reasons sometimes why kids won't say that they've seen something that they don't like or won't share a concern about online because that knee-jerk reaction of having access removed. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Although I, I feel like from the conversations that I've had with them that there is much less of that um, that kind of fear that my, the parents are going to take it away and much more, and again, it's that control thing, more of the the worries about everything else you know and and yes access is bad if it's taken away but that's actually they're a bigger fish to fry um i think the other thing that whole thing about being judged and, and starting out your your social journey or even kind of continuing it is um is friends and we talked a lot about parents at the beginning but actually friends i, I found this fascinating actually because i was doing some research on this recently um that obviously there's this trust with parents that um that they sometimes don't do but it felt like they trust their friends much more than they trust their parents um and that their friends are more reliable in terms of the kind of content that they'll put up about their friends um but also taking things down so if you if your friend puts up a picture that you don't like and you tell them nine times out of ten they'll take them down whereas your parents aren't as reliable in that in that way which i think is gives me hope actually for the kind of future because then hopefully we have grown a generation of children who know how to behave on the internet and, and they'll turn into fully functioning adults whereas parents maybe aren't so good <laughs> maybe in regards to data and privacy what language are kids using around it okay well, well that's um there's something really fascinating that goes on with with language around that because um 
I was doing some research recently and we asked them what digital consent was and we asked a, a range of children from ages um, 7 to 17 and what was really, really um, marked was the fact that the 14 to 17 year olds didn't know the phrase digital consent. They weren't aware of it. They knew the behaviours around it. They knew that their parents and that their friends should be asking permission to share their pictures or, or whatever and vice versa. But all of the children underneath 14 knew exactly what it was, knew the knew the terminology, talked about it spontaneously, um, and um, were, were much more aware of what they felt were their rights in, in that way. So it's, um, it's very interesting. That's really interesting. So not only specifically a, a phrase, but almost the understanding and the ethos to go with it. Absolutely. Um, the last point, which I'll just quickly raise, I think brings it around full circle um, in regards to data and information. Um, a number of kids worried about things like making online purchases by accident, um, worried that their identity may be stolen, um, and worried specifically that their information might be lost or they won't be able to find what they're looking for. And this is quite interesting because I think kids are constantly having to find that balance between expressing who they are, using an online space for what they need to do in it, but then constantly being told, be careful about information. Um, do you think going forward, kids are going to begin to take things like data privacy a lot more seriously? And do you think it's going to be sort of to the detriment of the things that they might do online at the moment? Will they lose out on experience such as, you know, being creative or being a part of a community? That's, I'm just thinking about this one. Um, I think there are two parts to that. Yes, I think they'll be a lot more careful about what they do. I think they are already more careful than most adults in terms of what their settings are, who they're sharing things with, where things are going. Um, in general, I mean, yes, some of them have got things to learn, but they, they are much, much more aware of things um, now than they were even four years ago, five years ago. Um, will that be to their detriment? Not necessarily, um, because I think what they'll do is have a much more... Um, coherent, cohesive community where people, where they they know people and they know what they're doing, and they've they've kind of vetted they've vetted them. Um, I think, I hope, I think, don't know. Um, and in conclusion, what do you think are the big takeaways for brands and companies in regards to children and data and privacy? I think we know that the, you know there's established law and regulations in place. But as you were mentioning earlier on about children and trust, there's going to have to be sort of a narrative maybe that is yeah. out there. What does that I, I, look abs like? Absolutely. I think you're right. I think it does have to be around trust and, and I think transparency as well. So um, one of the things that we, we haven't talked about but comes into this whole banner is this idea of, of disinformation and fake news and, and um, anything that... Um, blows that trust that you are building with children um, is hugely, hugely damaging. So then it needs to not just be about, about the trust, it needs to be about the proof of the trust so that you have to have a transparent relationship with children. You have to tell them what you're doing, how you're doing it and why you're doing it um, and um, bring them on that journey with you because then you've got loyalists in the way that you, know, you want as a brand. Excellent. Sam, thank you so much. That was really interesting. Likewise. And uh, look forward to our next podcast together. So do I. Thank you. Thank you.